Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Friday, August the 31st, and apologies for my summer cold. Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD, is the fifth largest cause of death in developed nations, the sixth largest in middle and low income settings, and is set to become the third most important cause of death worldwide. This week's issue of The Lancet, dated September the 1st to the 7th, is rich in COPD content, including comments, our lead editorial, three research articles, three reviews, and a viewpoint. The issue will be highlighted at the upcoming European Respiratory Society meeting in Stockholm in a couple of weeks' time. So, in an extended podcast this week, we'll be hearing from a number of experts in COPD. In a moment, we'll hear how passive smoking in China could result in an additional 1.9 million deaths in that country relating to COPD. And we'll discuss fetal and infant origins of COPD, a much neglected area of research. To set the scene, we published an international study attempting to quantify the prevalence and risk factors for COPD worldwide. Earlier, I spoke to the lead author of the BOLD study, Sonia Bust, Professor of Medicine at the Health and Science University at Portland, Oregon, in the United States. How feasible is it really to, to undertake a global study attempting to assess the global instance of COPD? This study was, was started fairly modestly, and we had no idea that we would end up with about 18 countries as we are at present. But we designed it so that each country or site would only have to recruit a sample of about 600 participants. So we made it to be feasible and cost-effective and a study that really could be done in countries at most levels of economic development. And please could you detail the methodology you use in the study? Presumably you had to take account of regional or countrywide sort of variations in terms of demographics and that sort of thing. The study was, was designed to be population-based and to include men and women over the age of 40. So that meant that in each site, the investigators had to recruit a random sample of the eligible population over the age of 40. We recommended that they did this from an administrative area with a population of at least 150,000. So then within that area, they had to identify a way to obtain a random sample of that population. So it was a fairly complicated process to come up with a sample that was representative of the population. And that's really the key to, I believe, the success of a study like BOLD, to really try to get a representative uh, population sample. And in terms of, if you like, the key results, there's a figure here of just over 10%. Can you just explain how you got to that finding? Just to go back a little bit to the methods, we used a spirometry, pre- and post-bronchodilator spirometry, to measure lung function. And then we used a number of questionnaires to obtain information about respiratory symptoms, health status, and exposure to COPD risk factors. And we used spirometry to stage the level of COPD or airflow limitation. And we used the gold staging to do this. And the figure that you just quoted, which was 10.1%, is stage two and higher now, that means really clinically significant COPD, and the difference between this study and many most previous reports 
is that they have looked at gold one and higher, which includes quite mild or preclinical disease. So our staging or our prevalence was based on what we would think of as clinically significant disease. And in terms of the major risk factors, I suppose unsurprisingly, smoking status and age were, if you like, the key risk factors. Although that's not the whole picture, which maybe we'll come to in a minute. But could you just comment on the role of smoking and age in terms of risk for COPD at a global level? There's no question that smoking worldwide is by far the most important risk factor for COPD. But studies like BOLD, I think, really tell us that smoking isn't the only risk factor. In fact, what is driving the COPD epidemic worldwide is not just the smoking epidemic, but the fact that the world's population is aging so that in all countries, people are living longer and they're living into the COPD age range, which is say 55 and over. So COPD is definitely a a disease of aging in that it reflects the cumulative effect of exposures to various particulates over a lifetime. So aging is a very, very powerful risk factor. So smoking and aging are very important, but there are other risk factors and we are, of course, going to be exploring these. But two that seem to pop up in bold as important suspects are a history of tuberculosis, And perhaps even more important is a history of exposure to occupational dusts and pollutants. And we've known that occupation is important. There are several fairly recent studies that have been able to demonstrate that very clearly. But a study like BOLD really brings this into focus and emphasizes the importance of occupational exposures as a very important risk factor for COPD. It's interesting, of course, isn't it? Because many of those risk factors clearly are preventable. But in terms of age, we are, as nations and globally, we are getting older. We can't necessarily stop the fact that that's going to continue. So it's a question of addressing the preventative risk factors such as tobacco, exposure to dust, that sort of thing, that must be the way forward in terms of prevention. Yes, and there's another risk factor that I didn't mention that's probably very important, and that is uh, biomass heating and cooking, especially for women in developing countries. We have information on that. We haven't been able to analyze it fully, but for women, especially in developing countries who traditionally up to this point have not smoked in any great numbers, biomass exposure is probably going to turn out to be an important risk factor. But it's just another another particulate, if you will. And finally, you know, what comment would you have, if any, to, to kind of summarise, if you like, the implications of, the, of this massive piece of epidemiology? Is it a case that, that COPD is far more widespread than previously thought, and that at a global level, at a regional level, and at a country level, there just needs to be greater awareness about how we deal with COPD? I think you summarized it very well. We believe that the prevalence of of COPD is much, much higher than has previously been reported and is generally thought. So yes, the burden of COPD is very high and is is going to get higher. I think it really highlights the importance of focusing on the preventive aspects and what we can actually do to prevent this decline in lung function that ends up in clinically significant disease. Professor Bust on the line from Oregon in the United States. Thanks very much for talking to The Lancet. Thank you very much. And Professor Bust is the co-author of one of three review articles about COPD in this week's issue. 
So we've heard how smoking is the single largest risk factor for COPD worldwide. Nowhere is this more relevant than in China, which has a high prevalence of smoking in that country, particularly among men. So what about the effect of secondhand smoke, or passive smoking, on COPD risk in China? Investigators from the University of Birmingham, UK, Hong Kong and mainline China assessed the passive smoke exposure of 15,000 never smokers in China. Here is one of the study authors, Dr. Pamene Adab, from the University of Birmingham in the UK, describing the results of the study. The main finding was really that never smokers who were exposed to high levels of passive smoke at home or at work were significantly more likely to have COPD. They also were more likely to experience cough and breathlessness compared to those who had low levels of exposure. We also found that there was a dose-response relationship, so there was a significant trend for higher rates of COPD with increasing duration of passive smoking exposure. And when we combined total duration of adulthood exposure, so looking at home and work exposure combined, then those who had the highest level of exposure, the risk of having COPD was increased by 48% compared to those who had low exposure. In terms of cough, their risk was increased by 15% and their risk of breathlessness was increased by 19%. This is important because, again, we did this in never smokers and the baseline risk of COPD is already high in China in never smokers. So an almost 50% increased risk would be a lot of people who who could potentially be affected. So in terms of this very clear association, and I guess an unsurprising association between exposure to secondhand smoke, passive smoke, and increased risk of COPD, the association itself, there's a difference, isn't there, between a loose association and causality. What are your thoughts about that? We considered quite a lot of um, aspects in the causal relationship when we, when we interpreted our findings. I think, I think there are some important strengths in the study. We restricted the analysis to never smokers. So we had a large number who'd never smoked and, and the analysis just looked at never smokers. We also adjusted for some other important con- confounding factors such as job exposure to dust and so on. The findings are, are not likely to be due to confounding factors. And how did you reach this staggering figure of a projected excess of 1.9 million deaths in China because of exposure to secondhand or passive smoke? Our study was based on people over the age of 50, and we know that in China there's about 240 million adults over the age of 50 alive today. 60% of those are non-smokers have never smoked, which means that there's 144 million never smokers over the age of 50 in China. We know that about 12% of all deaths in China are due to COPD. From our study, we know that 12% of these are attributable to passive smoking. So if we put all those together, we can come up with a figure of 1.9 million. So that means that there's 1.9 million deaths, excess deaths, that could be attributable to passive smoking if the prevalence of exposure to passive smoking continues the same uh, and given the number of people who are alive today who've never smoked. And is that 1.9 million projection a yearly figure? No, that's, that's an overall figure. Of all the people aged over 50 who are alive today, then 1.9 million are at risk of death from COPD. If we take an, a yearly figure, I, think, I believe it's something like 835,000 deaths a year are due to COPD, and of those, about 44,000 a year would be due to passive smoking from our estimates. And finally, briefly, if you would, please, implications for public health measures in China. Is China doing anything about this? China's already started to take some very encouraging steps. I think it's important to acknowledge that. About two years ago, the government in China ratified the WHO framework on Convention on Tobacco Control, which is an important international treaty aimed at curbing tobacco control and related deaths and diseases. So, so I think that's 
applaudable. Also, as you know, the Olympic Games are being hosted there in a very short amount of time, and all the Chinese cities that are going to be hosting the Olympics have signed up and issued a tobacco-free games plan, which is also encouraging. There are some laws to ban smoking in public places in China, but really it's not quite far enough, and there's a lot of people who are still being exposed to passive smoking in public places and in workplaces in particular. So I think there's more work that can be done and further legislation to restrict exposure in indoor places I think is important. There's also more work that should be done I think in terms of policy on tobacco control generally to help to reduce smoking uptake and and increase smoking cessation so that people are less exposed because less people smoke obviously. And I think finally there are implications for educating the public on the harmful effects of passive smoking and to reduce smoking in the home. You can't legislate on that, so education I think is the key. And that's particularly for men. Men have a very high smoking rate in China and it's women who are exposed and are at increased risk. Those are the key public health messages for China. Dr Abad, thank you very much for talking to The Lancet. Thank you. Little research exists into the early origins of COPD in pregnancy or in early infancy. Earlier, I spoke to Professor Mike Silverman from the University of Leicester in the UK, author of a comment in this week's issue linked to a research article assessing infant lung impairment and later adult risk of COPD. Professor Silverman, why do you think early lung development and its potential future role in adult COPD, why do you think it's been overlooked for so long? I suppose there are several reasons, but the most important, I think, is that the major etiological factor in COPD is smoking. Because of that, I think earlier factors which render the lung vulnerable to smoking have been largely overlooked. It's just historic, I think. More recently, there's been a huge emphasis on genetics, and I think that's had a sort of adverse impact on some of the epidemiological work, particularly in relation to, say, lung development in childhood, which is probably mainly affected by environmental factors rather than genetic factors. In a sort of rather paradoxical way, the emphasis on genetics and on trying to find genetic factors for lung vulnerability and increased risk of COPD has meant that some of the early life developmental causes or contributors, should I say, to COPD have been overlooked. And can you comment about the study published in this week's issue of The Lancet by Deborah Stern and colleagues? The paper in this week's Lancet is particularly important for various reasons. Clearly, it doesn't connect directly early childhood lung function with COPD. There aren't any studies that do that as yet because none of the research has gone on long enough to connect individual cohorts of, of newborn babies with their outcome as in late adult life. But what this, this paper has done is to show that there is a clear link between lung function very shortly after birth, which of course means lung development during fetal life, and lung function at the end of the growth period, the age of about 22, when we know the lungs have finished growing. Now, from other pieces of information, we know that the lung function which is attained by early adult life, say by the age of 22, determines your lung function relative to other people in the, in the community for the rest of your life. In other words, individuals whose lung function is less good at the age of 20-odd are likely also to have worse lung function as they go through the period of senescence and their lung function declines into old age. Now, this implies that people with worse lung function in their 20s are more likely to develop COPD in their 60s and 70s. In other words, connecting all these observations together, poor lung function at birth 
predicts poorer lung function at the end of the growth period in the 20s, and that in itself is likely to predict poorer lung function and a greater risk of COPD later in life in in the 60s and 70s. Two quick thoughts I have there. So presumably one area of interest, of course, is what causes the impaired lung function at birth. And presumably, as you already hinted, presumably a combination of genetic stroke biological factors and environmental factors such as maternal exposure to risk factors like tobacco. There's clear evidence that maternal smoking is a, is a, a very major risk factor and that, that, that's associated with impaired lung function at birth. In fact, the study in The Lancet didn't show that, but I, I believe that was because it wasn't large enough. But there are several other studies which have shown that the, uh, the infants of smokers, smoking mothers, have poorer lung function in the neonatal period than the infants of non-smoking mothers. So smoking is a big factor. Probably nutrition is another factor. There's quite a lot of research at the moment to to, uh, show that there are risks of childhood lung disease, but not actually neonatal adverse neonatal lung growth as yet in mothers with poorer nutritional status during pregnancy than those with better nutrition. So there are nutritional factors too. But most of the risk factors are unknown, whether they're genetic or environmental. And this is an area which we need to to carry out research in because if we're going to intervene during fetal life or early infancy in order to improve lung development with the prospect then of reducing the risk of COPD 60, 70 years later, then we need to know what the risk factors are in order to be able to intervene. And that's why I think that research in this area is is really urgently called for. Clearly, Deborah Stern and colleagues' study is important, but what we need are many more studies, longitudinal studies, which prospectively track, if you like, lung function from birth through to adulthood. What we need is good hypotheses for the potential causes of adverse lung development during fetal life and early childhood. And then we need to test those hypotheses by making appropriate measurements on cohorts of pregnant women and their offspring and following those children through for many years. The organizational implications are enormous and the costs of that sort of research are enormous. And unfortunately, funding bodies, including the government and the Medical Research Council, have so far not really committed themselves to that sort of long-term expenditure, which really is going to be necessary, not only in COPD, but for other disorders which have their roots in fetal life. Professor Silverman, thanks very much for talking to The Lancet. Thank you. Professor Mike Silverman. And finally, although sadly we were unable to secure an interview for this week's podcast, do read The Viewpoint, authored by Klaus Rabe from Leiden University Medical Centre, the Netherlands, and Leonardo Fabri from the University of Medina in Italy. They propose that the term COPD needs redefining, as it is not, in their opinion, purely a disease of the lungs. So instead of COPD, they propose we should use the term chronic systemic inflammatory syndrome, as COPD has associated comorbidities, including skeletal muscle abnormalities, hypertension, and diabetes. And in the lead editorial in this week's issue, The Lancet supports this broader approach to looking at COPD, as proposed by Rabe and Fabry. And we hope that the discussion of COPD comorbidities at the upcoming European Respiratory Society meeting in Stockholm will be a catalyst to enable a broader view of COPD being adopted worldwide. Many thanks for listening to this special COPD podcast for The Lancet. I'm Richard Lane. See you next week.